0: Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 279. In this episode, we talk about HubSpot Forms best practices and it's really a carry-on from uh, building marketing campaigns in episode 278. In this episode, we will talk about regular forms, when to use that, pop-up forms, progressive form fields, behavioral targeting, measuring your results and using forms and workflows together and some form integrations. You're listening to the number one HubSpot podcast, where you'll learn about HubSpot tips, tricks and strategies for growing your sales, service, marketing, and now operations results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? I'm really well, Ian, and another interesting episode ahead. Uh, By the way, I did want
1: to uh, shout out to listeners and say thanks for uh, the feedback we're getting, and also... We're getting a little bit of traction on YouTube. It's only taken us five or six years in. But yeah, we're getting a little bit of traction. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you get our show notes, we've got links there. Come and join us and leave us a comment about things that you'd like and how we can improve. We are step-by-step putting a little bit of extra effort into our YouTube channel each week. And I just wanted to mention this uh, to listeners and viewers because it says to me it's never too late. You can um, just wait till you've got enough time to do it properly. And that's what we're doing, incremental improvement. And we'd love you to join us on YouTube. And
0: also, we were looking at our YouTube analytics and not a lot of our listeners are subscribers on the channel. So I would encourage you to go and subscribe on that channel because that will greatly help us reach more people. All right, let's talk about the simplicity and complexity of forms, Greg. Alrighty, as you said, we're doing a follow-on
1: from our monster episode last week, uh, where we looked at a campaign from start to finish, building a campaign in HubSpot from start to finish. And that included a whole number of items, HubSpot forms, lists, files, landing pages, CTAs, workflows. We covered everything at a high level in that episode. This episode, we're going to dive into just one of those items, which is HubSpot forms. And you might think, wow, how can you do a whole episode on HubSpot Forms? Well, this is the beauty of HubSpot Forms. They're simple to get started and use and uh, get in action and results straight away, but they also have a lot of functionality that can be a little bit of overwhelming if you're not used to it. So we're actually going to dive into that in this episode. We're going to have a look at a whole bunch of separate features that you can get out of Forms and how to use them with best practices in mind. And uh, some of the things that we'll go through, you mentioned in the intro, but things like progressive form fields and also behavioral targeting, these are killer features of HubSpot forms that not a lot of people use. So we're going to dive into that.
0: And let me preface that by saying to use those features, you need to have HubSpot Marketing Professional or Enterprise to use those features. All right. So let's go over the type of forms, Craig. Regular versus pop-up forms. And listeners, there are two types of forms. Regular forms are the ones we often see. They're either embedded on one of your pages, like a landing page, a contact page, maybe even the footer of your website to sign up or a support page. They're even available as standalone pre-configured pages. So that's one. And the other one is uh, pop-up forms. And there would be ones that would pop up or sometimes we call them slide in or it's a drop-down banner, or it's a pop-up box. So those are the types of pop-up forms that are available to you. So one of the things with those forms, when we talk about pop-up forms, you can either use them to click through to another page, or you can actually make collect simple information, or even put a meeting link in there to get people to book a time with you. But a limitation of the pop-up form is you can only have four input fields when you're collecting data. So just be aware of that. So there are other types of forms that you might see in HubSpot that sometimes don't include. And these are non-HubSpot forms. And this is where HubSpot listens. So say you've got the tracking code on your website, it listens and it collects the data from that forms. You've got chat forms and these are within chat flows or, and chatbots and could be considered as forms because they're collecting data. The next one you might have is a blog comment forms and then finally support forms used to collect data for tickets and creating tickets within HubSpot. Okay. So let's talk about some regular form tips, Craig.
1: Alrighty. So as you mentioned, these are the regular forms compared to pop-up forms are the ones that get embedded in pages Let's just talk about those first of all. And when you're building a form, we're not going to go through the absolute basics. I'm assuming that people know how to create a form and start dragging a few fields on. So I'm not going to go through the, the absolute basics. But what we are going to talk about is the concept of do you make fields mandatory or not? Because by default, when you put fields or you drag them onto your form, they're optional with the exception of email. That's always a mandatory field. Actually, there are there actually there is an instance when it's not mandatory. But assume that email is always mandatory, and so then the question becomes: Well, we've got all these other fields. We could have first name, last name. We could have job title, company, phone number. All of these. Should we make them mandatory or optional? And that all comes down to what the purpose of your form is. And we like to uh, simplify it and just say: Do you want quantity of leads or quality of leads? If you're just after quantity. Make them as simple as possible and the majority of fields optional. But once you're getting more to the bottom of the funnel and they're actually very specific maybe to a product or a particular demo or something like that, asking for more details is normally the way to go. Results in a higher quality form submission and actually allows you to qualify them for whether you're going to talk to them in further. So we've got a few examples Here, for example, and if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see we've got a screenshot of our simple show notes form that appears on our subscribe page, and it has name and email address. Whereas the coaching form, which is a much more bottom of the funnel form, has a whole lot more fields that you can fill in.
0: Correct. So we collect things like phone number, website, your kind of role, time frame you're looking to do the coaching in, Oh, sorry, the, t- the time frame you've been using HubSpot and any particular things to do with your the hubs that you use within your business. All
1: right. So that's around best practices around which forms to make them mandatory or optional on your form. The next thing we just want to t- highlight, this is a bit of an advanced feature, is progressive form fields. And this is really useful for making the form simple at first. And even though you've got a whole lot of extra fields you might want to ask, you don't show them all at once. In fact, you don't show them until a person comes back and fills out the form again, which is quite common, especially if you've got got a form that you use multiple locations across your site. So in the show notes, we've got a screenshot here of a form and it's got one progressive form field, which is company name. And then underneath it, we've actually got a queued up set of progressive fields And what that means is if the company field, the company name field, which is a progressive field on the main form has been filled out, then it gets switched out the next time the form shows with any of these other progressive form fields. So they keep switching out. And over time, as people fill out the form multiple times, they will end up filling out a whole lot of fields uh, in total, which if you'd put them all at once on the field, might have been overwhelming.
0: Now, Craig, quick question that listeners might be thinking is if you've got eight queued form fields and there's one field that is the progressive field, does that mean that once that first one's filled in, the other eight appear at the same time or does it cycle through the eight individually? Correct, and it does them in order. It'll switch them in in order.
1: Now, if you had multiple progressive fields in your original form, say two of them here instead of just the one I'm showing uh, in the screen share, it would switch out two at a time until lower them. Yeah, and they're taken in order from the queued fields.
0: That's fantastic. All right. And now we talk about using, uh, you can not only use contact properties on Forms, but you can use company, ticket, and custom properties on Forms. And if you are using HubSpot Enterprise, you could even use custom objects on Forms. So just be aware of that.
1: We've actually got an example here. This is one of our clients. They have a product registration form. And so if you look at the screenshot in the show notes, they've got a whole bunch of fields that they can add to the form and then they can actually choose fields from that custom object. They've got a custom object called product registration properties. And then you can see we've actually got a screenshot of the form where you can see product registration properties actually included on the form. So it's a contact form. They're filling out contact details, but then there's also product registration properties from the custom object showing as well. So very powerful. And that's available as enterprise. You need an enterprise portal for that.
0: And now if you're looking at this, uh, watching on YouTube, and you're looking at this screenshot, there is, on the screenshot, it says there's a dependent field. And this is something we didn't talk about, is where you say that if we're collecting some data and the ref, in this case, we're looking at where the referral came from. And based on the selection, you show them another field based on that. And it doesn't have to apply to every selection, but might be a particular selection. And that's how a dependent field shows following the completion of the field that's required. That's a good point. We actually haven't even gone through dependent fields
1: uh, as part of the show notes. So yeah, well, well spotted.
0: All right. Now let's look at form options. And there are a number of form options. This is on the second tab. If when you're creating a form and it says, where do you want to with your thank you message? Do you want to display an inline or do you want to redirect to another page? Now the, the best thing to do is to actually have a thank you page that's dedicated because it helps you measure your conversion better. And also it means that you can do further progressive profiling on the thank you page, like we discussed in the last episode. But if you want to get things started and you want to get off to a quick start, then you just want to use the form. You can display an inline thank you message. So that's one of the options. The next is follow-up options that are available, like sending email notifications to the contact owner and sending submissions to other people also within the business. And then there are also things like form error message languages and campaigns that that form belongs to that you can choose. And then there are some submission settings. And one of the ones that we want to talk about is pre-populating contact fields with known values. That's one. But the other one is if the form is used, for example, on an iPad at a event or they have it at a reception and they're collecting data, you would want to actually add another option that says add a link to reset the form. And that removes any pre-populated data in the form when a new contact submission is created. And people sometimes get this wrong and we see lots of issues where the cookie or the way it remembers, it overwrites their details in the contact record because it thinks, oh, it's Craig submitting the form again, but it's got Ian's details now. With a different email and he thinks that's it's the same person. So just be aware to make sure that if that form is used on a single device, collecting details from different people, that that option's turned on. I think for most
1: campaigns, that probably won't be an issue. But it's quite right. We could spend a whole episode just talking about these other submission settings on forms. It's almost like the deeper you go, the more you can talk about it. Like Inception here, Ian. (laughs) We can we can just keep going deeper and deeper into forms. I think the main ones are those ones that you highlighted at the front. Redirect the form after submitting. So always go to a thank you page if you can. And as Ian said, it's because then you can track conversions. Not from HubSpot's point of view, but if you're sending traffic from LinkedIn, Facebook, Google, that's much easier to track conversions if you have a thank you page, which you can then use in those platforms. And then, yeah, pre-populate contact fields. That's the one we've got marked in a red box in the show notes screenshot. And that just makes it a better experience. There's nothing more frustrating. Well, there's lots of things more frustrating. But it is very frustrating to come back to fill out a form on a site. You've already filled out a form. Then you go to another form and you have to fill out everything again. But if most of the fields are pre-filled, that's a much better experience so use that and we'll chat later about whether you should assign forms to campaigns or not so that was the regular forms forms embedded on pages we're actually going to talk about pop-up forms though next aren't we
0: that's right and so as discussed previously there are four different kinds of pop-up forms that you can choose within hubspot the pop-up box being one that people would be most familiar with the one that i quite like the next three which is the drop down banner that slides down from the top of the screen or the slide-in boxes from the left or the right.
1: So which one would you choose, Ian, out of the four?
0: Here are some quick tips, Craig. So with, with this, I would consider about what the purpose is or what people are doing on the page. That's a really big thing. And you'll probably often see that uh, people use this pop-up that basically the mouse runs off the screen and you get these pop ups saying, hey, you don't leave or sign up to this, which can be really annoying. So I'd actually think about when you should ever use that but our first thing is here to test and measure pop-ups in the screen center tend to convert well but are really annoying like we were just talking about and and i gotta say
1: the hubspot blog has those pop-up forms i find them annoying but it obviously works they've been testing and measuring so do make sure you test and measure folks
0: that's right the second one is make sure your pop-up approach fits your brand right so example you've put in the show notes is you'll never see an exit pop-up on the apple site but you will see it on most e-commerce sites so make sure that that is uh considered then find slide-in pop-ups a good balance because it's not annoying but it's also useful but it's also you can manage about how it comes in based on time and scroll the amount of page scrolled and if you have a chat bot or a chat tool on your site you can usually slide this typically in from the right. So if you're using a slide-in form, you can slide the box in on the left. So just be aware of that just gives us multiple options when using pop-up forms.
1: All right, now with the pop-up forms, there's this really cool feature in HubSpot where, first of all, you can have two types within those four pop-up form types. You can have two outcomes. You can either show a form with fields or you can direct them somewhere else. So we've got two examples here. Here's one where uh, just a a little slide in that says, do you want to sign up for the HubShots show notes? So, yep. And then it shows a form. And we've got screenshots in the show notes there. But there's a second type which doesn't show a form as the next step. It'll just take you off to another place. That could be another page, could be another site entirely, could be a meeting link, could be a file even, uh, could be a a calendar uh, option or an event option. So I've got an example there. This is actually one from one of my wife's sites where it links off to Amazon, basically. it' about uh, one of her books on Amazon and you can learn more. So they're very easy to set up. It's on the first step of when you're setting up a pop-up form, you can say, is it a form step? I.e. is it going to show a form with fields or is it going to take them somewhere else? So that's very handy. We call those click-through forms. So within you have four types of pop-up forms. Uh, You can either have a a show a form or a click-through. We're actually finding those click-throughs really useful. Okay. They'll just point someone to a different part of the site or off onto another uh, location entirely.
0: All right. Now let's talk about behavioral targeting. So one of the superpower features of pop-up forms is the targeting functionality. And this lets you decide when you want to show the pop-up and when you want to hide the pop-up. And this is really important, listeners, really enables you to do that based on the URL to target particular pages. And then we can talk about behavioral targeting. So you can say they belong to a particular list or they have visited the site for the first time. What else have they done, Craig? There are a few other things that you can do. There's so many options. It's
1: so powerful. We've just chosen a few of the simpler ones in the show notes. But for example, you can actually check query parameters. Or you can check which country they're coming from, or their device type, or the days since the last visit. These are all behavioural elements that you can then choose to use to either show or hide the form. So you can get very sophisticated. You can say, "I'm only going to show this form if they're on a certain page and then from a certain country." And then we won't show it. For example, this is one we almost do uh, do in almost every form. If they're already part of a list based on this form being submitted, don't show them again. Because why would you show them a form to sign up for something when they've already filled it out? So that's a nice way that you can actually hide the pop-up. And that's what we do. If you sign up for the Hubshot show notes, you'll never see a pop-up asking you to sign up for the show notes again. And then one other thing you can do, you can actually chain pop-ups in a way. If you think about this concept, you can say, okay, show them this initial form. For example, that could be the sign up for the Hubshot show notes. And then if they sign up for that, well, they're part of a list and then you don't show it to them. But then you might say, but if they have signed up, show them the next pop-up. It's almost like you only show them the next pop-up if they have already signed up for the show notes. So that's what we think of. We call that chaining pop-ups. So that's that's actually a really cool feature that you can do with HubSpot pop-up forms using behavioral targeting.
0: All right. Now let's talk about reporting on forms.
1: Actually, I just wonder, should we do a quick review of what we've got so far, Ian? Let's do that, Next, Craig. We've had regular forms, they're embedded in pages, and you've had pop-up forms. They could show in the sender, they could drop down, they could slide in. And in pop-up forms, we've uh, talked about you could have them show actual form with fields, or it could be a click-through to another location. And then with pop-up forms, we've talked about targeting. You can show them very selectively based on targeting criteria on certain pages or on certain criteria, the country they're from, uh, whether they've filled it out before. So that's forms so far, regular and pop-up, very powerful, very sophisticated. Now let's talk about measuring results.
0: All right. So when we talk about reporting, we want to understand some things about forms. And there are a number of ways to do this. There is an analyze tab on your forms. There's form analytics There are lists that you can use to analyze, and then there are custom reports and even pre-built reports that you can utilize to analyze your forms. So first, let's look at the Form Analyze tab. And this is sometimes easy to miss or just overlook and not look at it because you think it's just a form. I don't need to know anything about that. But it's in the Manage tab, and it shows you your list of forms, and it actually can aggregate the form data of all your forms, and you can even go into the specifics of the forms to see each one. And what that really is important is it'll tell you the form type, it'll tell you the number of views and the number of submissions, and the conversion rate. Now, this is really interesting as we go on to about comparing forms, where we see if we're running similar forms, or let's, in the example I think that I've given is looking at conversion rate and we think you think oh well what's good like what's a good form conversion rate what was the quality versus the quantity of the leads and what are we seeing and so generally you'd want to be able to see at least 20 percent conversion rate if your audience is targeted and your offer is simple and compelling and so that's one of the things to look at and you'll see in the screenshots there are some really great conversion rates but you can see there's just one view and one submission But on the other ones, we're looking for, it's a good way to keep a track of seeing what's going on and what's working and what's not. And so the whole idea of this, by looking at this analysis, is to work out what can we improve or what can we make better. So I encourage you all to have a look at it. I think it's worth highlighting
1: that, in fact, in one of our screenshots, we've got a range where one of the forms has a 0.24% conversion rate and then we've got others that are above 60%. So there's quite a range. And you might think, oh, well, let's uh, obviously one's working, one's not. Well, there's actually some variations. Like if it's top of the funnel, yeah, you definitely want more than 20, 30, 40, even 50% conversion rate. That's not uncommon. But for bottom of the funnel stuff where it's very selective and maybe someone has to be very close to purchase intent and perhaps for a high ticket item, we actually don't really care about low conversion rates on those forms. We're actually more concerned about deals. And that's not something we're gonna talk about in this episode, but the point and the reason why I mentioned it is because conversion rate isn't everything. It's actually about revenue that ends up coming from the forms. And in that case, it's probably more likely gonna be the landing page or the page or the offer itself whether they're filling it out and whether that turns into a deal. So just remember that top of the funnel, that's really where your higher conversion rates are gonna be and that's where you test and measure most often. But bottom of the funnel is much more about the landing page and pricing and things
0: like that. So now talking about Form Analytics, Craig, why do we have Form Analytics in the Form Analyze tab? I know, so Form Analyze clicks off to
1: the Form Analytics you might think, what's the difference between the two? Because when you look at them, they do look very similar. Well, there's not much actually. And I wouldn't mind betting that over time, the Form Analytics becomes Form Analyze because there's only two things that it adds that you can't get on Form Analyze. One of those is the ability to export the results, e.g. to an Excel file, and that's actually quite handy. So if anyone ever says, oh, can we export out all the form submission details? Yep, go to Form Analytics. You won't see it on Form Analyze. Well, not yet at the moment. But then the second thing is you can selectively click to show form results. So in the screenshot we've got, we've clicked a few of the forms and then that populates the graph above. So you can see over a time period which uh, forms are working or not. They're the only two main features that you get on Form Analytics. And as, yeah, as I mentioned, I actually reckon that'll, they'll put that into the Form Analyze tab soon enough anyway. But still uh, worth knowing about.
0: All right, now let's talk about lists and lists are your friend. <laughs> All right, I know Craig's put in the show notes, repeat after me, lists are your friend. And we always create lists based on Forbes submissions because they quickly show results from each form in a very succinct way. So it's a great way and it can be used in multiple areas, in workflows, triggering off a series of emails, etc. So that's the importance of actually creating lists. I think this is a, a almost a mandatory thing. You should always create a list
1: based on form submits. And in a future episode, when we ch- actually talk about lists, one of the great things that lists has is you can actually see list growth over time. We won't talk about that in this show. There's other things, of course, that lists, um, you can actually check where lists are used. Are they used in workflows and things like that as well. And all of these things and widgets that we see and say the form analyze and form analytics tab, they can actually create reports. You can create your own custom reports based on form submits as well. And we've got a few of those in the screenshots in the show notes as well. So plenty of ways that you can drill into the results that you're getting from your forms and see what's working and what's not.
0: We also have in the system lots of pre-built form reports and you can go that into your form um, into your reporting library, it's by selecting forms. And one of the, they've got some really interesting ones in there, Craig. The first one that you'll see in the screenshot, it says it's a new contact conversion from ads, right? Great if you're running lots of paid advertising and you want to understand are your ads customers or people coming from ads converting on that form appropriately. Contact creation by first conversion marketing contacts set from submissions. So you can see where all these forms are and the count of the contacts. Plus there's many more that are available. So I always say, start with the basics, see what you like, see what's working, and then iterate and build what you need when you're doing a reporting. All right, so now we've talked about the reporting. We talk about comparing forms now. And so this is a very little known feature, I think a very underutilized feature, when comparing forms. And what we want to do here is you can actually compare up to ten forms together in what we're showing you we compared two because we use these forms that were almost identical except for the offer because these are still uh, used as standalone forms like we discussed earlier and so the people get taken to these forms to get a quote. And what was really interesting when I was analyzing it, I was like, okay, so the views are slightly different. But if you look at the submission rate, it's it's almost like chalking. It's like double the submission rate. And I was thinking, well, what's the difference? The forms are actually identical. The offer was what, what was different. And I was actually very surprised the form that had the offer on it actually performed worse than the one that didn't have the offer. So... It's just really interesting, which would then beg to me to ask the question, were we targeting different traffic at the time that got that result or because it's not the form, it must be the type of traffic we're getting. So that was a really interesting insight in looking at the form comparisons. All right, up for some HubSpot form gotchas. These are mainly to do with collected form properties not showing. Well, what are collected forms, then? Collected forms are forms that are residing on a site that are not HubSpot forms, but the HubSpot code that's running on the website that's listening out collects the data into HubSpot. And so they call that a collected form because they're collecting the data.
1: Actually, I I think they now call them non-HubSpot forms. Yeah. They used to oh, be called collected forms. Yes.
0: And that's why
1: it can get confusing because you'll hear us interchangeably saying, oh, collected forms
0: and non-Hubspot forms, they're actually the same thing. That's right. We should update those show notes. But essentially what you might not realise is and how people come across this issue is that they'll say, oh, I'm asking for all this data on the form, but I can only see in Hubspot, I can only see half of that. What's happening and so we've got some screenshots where you need to actually go and figure out, well, what is happening is to go and view an individual submission because in the submission, it will actually see all the data that's collected. And what you will see in HubSpot when it can't store the data somewhere, it'll say with a little emergency sign saying this value wasn't passed to the contact record because it's not one of the options or it can't be found where to stick it. So it doesn't know where to put that information. Can
1: I just take a step back, in? Sure. Because I feel like
0: we've jumped into collected forms and
1: people might not realize, oh, was this one of the pop-up forms or the regular forms or yeah. not? It's not. It's actually a separate type of form. So we actually didn't cover reg- this before. We've talked about regular forms and pop-up forms. They're all HubSpot forms. But one of the really handy features HubSpot has is that it can listen to other forms. I'll give you an example. You've got a WordPress site and maybe you're using WordPress forms on the site. So they're not HubSpot forms on the site, they're WordPress forms. But you've got the HubSpot script running on your WordPress site. HubSpot really cleverly in the background listens for any of your WordPress forms to be submitted and then pulls it through into HubSpot as if it was a form submit. But instead of being a HubSpot form submit, it's called a non HubSpot form or a collected form. These are really handy. And so when they come through, it's great because you didn't actually need to have HubSpot form, a HubSpot form on your site. But what Ian's pointing out though, is sometimes HubSpot can't work out what some of the fields are. They come through, especially if you've got very custom field, HubSpot can't work out what it is. And so it's a bit of a gotcha. This data goes into a black hole. We don't know where it is, doesn't appear on the contact. And so in this little tip, and you're going through well we can actually create custom properties for those form fields on a contact and if they are on the contact HubSpot, then can say oh well this form i've listened to which had this form field i'll just slot it actually into this contact property
0: that's what we're talking about is that correct ian that's exactly right craig and so what you'll see is that by looking at the individual submission you can figure out a property that it's collecting. And the key is to to create a custom property that looks exactly like that. So the system can recognize it and insert the data. So you'll see, we often have postcode in the system, but in this case, our customer had a delivery postcode where they wanted this item delivered and that HubSpot couldn't match that. So we actually created that as a custom property within the system. One of the things when creating properties is make sure you a name them, but you you appropriately put in the description what it's used for, so that when you track back, you can figure out that the data has been collected in a from a non HubSpot form into that property, which will help you. And I will stack a screenshot in there because one of the things with properties is to make sure where which HubSpot does really well is knowing where it's used in. And you'll see that in the property page where it'll show you all the best places it's used in. All right, let's talk about form best practices, Craig. All right, so that's been really good so far. We've talked
1: about regular forms, pop-up forms. We actually then just talked about collected forms or non-HubSpot forms. And we've talked about reporting, how you can analyze, test and measure. Now let's chat about some best practices and tips. And one of the things that we talk about a lot uh, with clients and on the show is naming conventions. We talked about this at length last episode. We're going to talk about it again with forms because over time you tend to create a lot of forms and uh, your portal gets busy. So for example, in our portal, I think we've got more than 300 forms in various formats, naming conventions save you from getting lost. So there's no right or wrong answer here with how to name your forms. However, here's a few tips. First of all, if you're running multiple brands in your portal, as we are, for example, we've got our Zen company in the portal, we've got the Hubshots site in the portal as well. Use that as a prefix. So in the screenshot, you'll see we prefix the forms with the brand that they apply to. Then you might talk about whether it's a product or a service or newsletter, that might be some descriptor of the form an objective, whether it's a sign up or a contact us. And also sometimes we put location as part of the form name. Give you an example. If we create a form and we're only going to use it in a sidebar or in a footer, we'll often put that as part of the form name, just so that it's very easy to see when you're looking through all your forms. So we've got um, examples here in the show notes, which you should sign up to get hubshots.com slash subscribe if you don't get them already. Here's an example. We've actually got one in the show notes, which is called Zen HubShot Signup. So it's with our Zen brand. It shows on the Zen website, but its outcome is to sign up for HubShot. So an example there where we're using brand and outcome in it. All right. Next in our best practices, form properties. You've actually got some additional notes here, in.: That's right.
0: And I guess this is really taking a step back to the start. <laughs> and understanding form properties. And I think it's really important to have a think and understand firstly, how you want to collect it and how you want to use the data. When we're thinking about it, we want to reduce the error of input and also to get the best output, right? So just think about how am I going to collect the data to reduce the input error, right? So is it a field that I can actually predefine? So is it like a persona field is something that's predefined? So you, we know what we're getting. Maybe it's a number field. You want them to put numbers so you make it a number field and not just a text field. That might be another thing because you don't want that happening. Could it be a drop down to make it easy for selection? And think about the usability of that in a form. Then think about how you want to use that field. Like where is it going to be used? Is it going to be on forms? Is it going to be internally to... HubSpot. So, when we're collecting it, is the main goal to show it on the contact screen in the left hand panel or to show it in reports. So, that's really important because the way it organized itself also becomes important in that scenario. And having thought about this will also help you with your reporting and segmentation and also your use of it in property lists and workflows going ahead. So, super important. I know. Some people, we go through the hassle of actually moving properties into different property types or post them creating it because they realize that there's something that's not working and they can do it better. So that then involves another process to transfer all that data, which you can do using workflows and, and creating, the, creating new properties that fit the purpose. Can I give you an example
1: of that? Go for Perfectly. it, Craig. <laughs> so we've got a client, we're going through this at the moment, where over time they've created fields for the state, you know, the location of where person's sign out. What state are you in? And they created it as a free text field. So they hadn't put the thought into it, oh, what should we make this a drop-down with pre-field? And so now they've got... Of course, it's free text. They've got people filling out. Sometimes they just use the initials for the state and then other times they um, spell it out in entirety for the state. You've got this data issue now where they're like, oh, how do we filter based on states or things like that? Whereas if they just thought about it right up front, made it a drop down and you can only select from a preset list of states... It would have uh, ensured data integrity. So it's just a very simple example of of exactly what you're highlighting, Ian. Think about your fields up front. Don't just quickly whack in a few fields. I oh, state that's a text field. I whack it in. Think it through, because that data down the track may come back to bite you if it's in an unformatted form.
0: All right. Now we're going to talk about adding forms to campaigns, and this is. This is another one of those additions to HubSpot campaigns where we can add forms into that campaign. And why is that important, Craig? Well, the main thing is around attribution. So
1: that then you can see if a form is associated with a particular campaign, you can see the form submits as part of that when you're reporting on attribution. However, there's a few things to think about here because if you've got a form that's used globally throughout the site, let's say you've got a, a simple contact form that's in the footer. You might think, well, do we associate that with a campaign? Because if we've got a specific campaign that is focusing on a particular asset or a particular offer, what, what happens with something that's in the global footer? And, and it's a good question. Now, there's kind of two ways to, to go about this. One is, well, maybe just focus on creating forms specific to campaigns. We do that, and that, that applies for landing pages and pop-ups. But if you've got global forms, site wide forms, say in a footer, what do you do? Should you associate them with a campaign or not? Typically, what we do is we create a generic campaign and we consider this to be almost like a catch all campaign. So, for example, with HubShots, we've actually got a campaign just called HubShots and it's the global catch all for anything related to HubShots that isn't part of a specific campaign. For example, we might have. We've got HubShot's campaigns specifically around our coaching program or our you know, health check, getting an audit campaign. They have specific forms, but the global forms that just sit or general subscription, they're part of a uh, just a general HubSpot campaign. So that's the way to think about it. And overall, having everything associated with a ca- campaign is handy because it just gives you power to look and, and see attribution down the track. But just be aware of that. Don't feel that it's mandatory for your forms, for every single form to be associated with a campaign. It's really much more when it applies to specific campaigns.
0: All right. Form integrations. So let's talk about non-HubSpot forms a bit more. This actually, yeah,
1: highlights. It just flows on from what you talked about earlier in terms of your gotcha, Ian. And really, we've just got some notes here. We won't go through in detail now in the show, but... It's just talking about these non-HubSpot forms and looking at integration points. If you have a WordPress site and they're using WordPress forms, not HubSpot forms, how do you integrate them? We typically use Gravity forms if we can't use HubSpot forms on a WordPress site uh, because it has a really nice integration. It's got an add-on that integrates very seamlessly with HubSpot. So that's something to use there. Also in the show notes, we've got a screenshot how you can actually just quickly drill down and see only the non-HubSpot forms or as they used to be known,
0: collected forms. Okay, on to form workflows. So adding form submits into a workflow and we'll go through this in our HubSpot workflows episode that's coming up. But the main point to note are this, you can trigger workflows from a form submission and you can also trigger workflows from lists of anybody filling out the form and now what we've done is you'll see in the example they belong to the list that we've created that people who have completed the Hubshots contact form or they've asked to be notified about show notes and then we can trigger off certain things from there in this case it's triggering off a notification to us i think at its simplest we've
1: got in the screenshots just how easy it is just to trigger on a form. I think a lot of people uh, when they're starting with um, HubSpot don't realize how do, I, how do I trigger a workflow on a form? Very easy. You can actually just choose it and next you can refine it. You can refine it. Oh, do I only want to trigger a workflow for a form on a particular page? In our example, we've got, well, if you fill out this form on any page, it'll trigger. That's its simplest. You can refine by date as well and also number of times
0: what is interesting and we get this question a lot is do i need to have different forms for different pages and this is where having the ability to use workflows and select the outcome of that form submit on a particular page is you don't have to create the multiple forms you can use the one form across multiple pages and have different outcomes for that form so for example the email that gets sent could be different based on the form, uh, the page that that form was submitted on. You don't have to create a separate form to send a different thank you email following that submission. Now Craig, I wanted to talk about, it, it mentions in the form submission in the workflow, refining it down. You can go by refining by the number of times. Why would people use the refinement of the number of times In this instance, like where would you actually use that or why would you use it?
1: Yeah. Okay. So an example might be, let's say you've got a form that's used on multiple pages. So they go and fill it out multiple times. Now you might say, well, if they've filled it out three or four times, we don't want to send them the normal thank you because they've had that. Maybe they're actually a bit of a VIP or an engaged Contact and so then that trigger might trigger a, se- a separate workflow that sends them a very specific set of emails, for example, or it might be used to internally notify this someone has filled out this form multiple times they go into a special workflow so it's a bit of an advanced technique uh, in your workflows it's not something you might do you know when you're just getting started out but if you think about if you try and get in the head of a person that's come to your site and they're filling out a form if they're filling out multiple forms. Or filling out, sorry, that form multiple times on multiple pages. Do you want to treat them differently? Do you want to give them a, a, a different experience? If the answer to that question is yes, then that's what this refinement is for. It gives you that flexibility. You can control exactly the experience that they get, say, with follow-up emails. So very handy, very powerful feature.
0: Okay. Very good. And believe it or not, we are at the end of our forms show and there is some training from the HubSpot Academy about designing, creating, strateg- strategically placing your form on your website, and one about capturing leads using forms and conversations in HubSpot. So two short lessons there. And finally two quotes, Craig, because I thought I just thought they were both well suited to the show. So the first one is from Marissa Mayer. And she says, with data collection, the sooner the better is always the best answer. And that was a lot about, um, yeah, making sure we're getting the right information. And the next one is from Greg Taylor. And he says, contact data ages like fish, not wine. It gets worse as it gets older, not better. And I was just thinking about that because in a lot of the HubSpot certification that we've learned over time, The attrition rate of contact data is, I think, about 25% every year, right? Mm. Somewhere in that vicinity. So the better you can keep your data and manage it appropriately, the less it's going to age like fish and, (laughs) and the better it's going to get like wine. So... Just thought that was very appropriate. Yeah,
1: I think that's right. If you're engaging with your database regularly and they're coming back and giving you updated information, perhaps it's behavioural, what they're doing on the site, perhaps it's updated fields that they fill in in forms, that keeps your data up to date and cleansed, as we like to say. Now, we've covered a lot in this show. Let's do a quick recap again. We looked at regular forms versus pop-up forms. We also did a little bit of a detour and talked about collected forms or non-HubSpot forms We looked at how you can report on your form submissions. You can compare forms. You can use features like behavioral targeting and progressive form fields. And then we've also looked at how they can be used to then trigger workflows, which we're going to look at in more detail in a future episode. Who thought there could be so much to discuss when it comes to forms? Well, you might be surprised. And there's even more that we didn't get time to go through. I actually wanted to just say uh, to listeners or people that get the show notes, if you've got a question about forms or you want a bit of a hand, you want us to have a look at your uh, portal, maybe give you some pointers, highlight, or maybe you're just totally confused and overwhelmed by all of this and you're like, man, I don't want to deal with this. Someone else can deal with it. Then reply to the email or contact us and uh, we can help you out. I think the point to remember, and this is always what I want people to take away from the show, is maybe going through all of this, they might feel a bit overwhelmed, but I always want you to remember, oh, this is what's possible. I know that this is possible. Then you can come back to the show notes or uh, any episode at time time for the details, but that's the thing. Always remember what's possible, and then you can come back and learn the details or chat to us, and we can help you
0: out. All right, listeners. Again, please sign up to the show notes and then you can reply to Craig and he'll get it directly. I'd love for you to connect with me on LinkedIn and say you listen to the show because that's where I make a lot of my connections. And always, if you've got any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. And we do appreciate the feedback we do get from people in HubSpot, our listeners and people on YouTube. So please keep that coming. Well, Craig, until next week. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.